Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I've avoided a lot of books in my life. High school honors English when I just didn't have the patience through college as a literature major who had to work all of her off hours to actually pay for tuition. You know, I just didn't want to read a bunch of stuff that was assigned. But I managed to make it to damn near 34 years old before I sat down and read a book with a title you really can't ignore. It sounds like a book with a nice little love story, maybe a happy marriage, and plenty of bucolic, sheepy villages. Listeners, none of that is true. None of it. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Fuckboys of Literature. I'm your host, Emily Edwards. It turns out it's cows instead of sheep, some questionable consent issues, fucking on Stonehenge and a lot, and I mean an absolutely overwhelming amount of misery heaped on one girl who barely makes it to her 20th birthday. Tess of the Durbervilles is a lot. With me today is Gracie, the co-host of the fantastic podcast, The Feminist Critique. It was she who suggested Tess, and it is she who will break down every single last fuckboy in this entire depressing tome. How the hell are you today? I'm, I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to personally apologize to you for, for this. putting you through this. <laughs> I... You know, we'll cover this later when, you know, later on in the podcast, but I got to the point where he propositions is to go to Brazil with him. And I screamed, fuck you at the top of my lungs <laughs> and scared the hell out of my husband. I, I, I have, I have a deep grudge for this, for this book. And it's because I had to read it in high school, which, um, again, I'll, I'll, uh, try and relive in in pod for you. <laughs> but I, I had to do a research paper on the character development of a character from a classic British novel, mm -hmm. and we had to pick stuff out of a hat. Like I didn't get a choice. Oh, that's cruel. Right? That is so mean. Yeah. So like I saw Pride and Prejudice, and my fingers were crossed. I was like, oh God, please, because I really wanted to do Darcy. Right. Yeah. Like, oh God, please let me do it. Now, um, I got this, which I had never heard of before, um, and I was like, oh, okay, and then I read it, and I hated it, because it was so sad and depressing. Also, it's not fair that Pride and Prejudice is, what, 250 pages long? And you had to yeah, read this? this? I know. And, you know, Pride and Prejudice is fun, right? It's yeah. witty. It's no, there's no fun here. It's, it's <laughs> miserable. It's, I, you know, I had always kind of thought that it was similar to like Jane Eyre, where it's going to be like a forbidden love story that inevitably gets resolved in some sort of romantic way. It might be infuriating to get there. But then when it ended, I was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> And I saw your I saw your tweet about Wuthering Heights, and I was like, Wuthering Heights isn't this bad. 
oh my god that's giving me confidence for Wuthering Heights at some point I mean I I read Wuthering Heights in part but I much prefer just watching the Tom Hardy uh tv series like the BBC if I get to watch Tom Hardy it's gonna be much better than anything else right right exactly oh my gosh Uh, this was this was such a good suggestion because at least you can mock it. <laughs> yeah, like it is. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it's something. It's really intense. <laughs> the first thing that we should probably start out with, because this, you know, I was a literature major and I took like eighteen years worth of English classes in high school, but I'd never read this and. Can we can we summarize it really quickly? Because I'm sure most people haven't read it. Well, essentially, uh, this book starts off with a girl named Tess, and Tess is 16. She's beautiful. She's mm-hmm. uh, you know elementary education. Yeah, it's and... very Liesel from The Sound of Music. <laughs> yeah, very much so. She's very naive and. She has a drunkard for a father and a mom who has, like, nine kids. I don't know. There's a lot of exactly. children. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like, her her dad gets this news that apparently he's descended from this rich family that has titles and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and then he goes home ranting and raving about it. Well, he gets so drunk and becomes so useless that she has to take her brother to market. And then on the way to the market, their horse gets killed in an accident because and the she's most horrific died. accident possible it literally bleeds out on the side of the road yeah it's so bad <laughs> um so now uh because this is an agrarian culture like without a plow horse or a workhorse like the family doesn't have anything yep and so she goes uh to work for the stoke d'urbervilles which are supposedly their cousins but and <laughs> And they're not. (laughs) Exactly. They took the last name, basically going, this sounds fancy and we're rich. So in order to be more like established, let's take on this fancy ass name. Exactly. And uh, of course, they have money and everything like that. Well, she meets Alec there and Alec really wants Tess. Like he wants her bad. Yeah. But she keeps denying him over and over again. She's like, nah, dude, I don't want you like... I'm just here to no tend thanks. your mom's chickens. That's literally my job. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it, he continues and continues this. I don't know exactly how long she stays there with him, but like um, he ends up uh, saving her from a fight. And then he purposefully gets lost in the woods and yes. then rapes her while she's asleep. So I'm glad you used that word because I was reading because it's, a little bit ambiguous whether or not it's consensual sex or rape because they never like you know they never say it outright like she's resisting but let's be honest here she was pushing him off the entire time that she was there and then miraculously she's pregnant i think we can say yeah it's sexual assault yeah like i think the last thing um you see like that is described is alec pressing his cheek to hers while tears are coming out of her eyes yeah and then that's it it cuts Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden she's got a baby and then literally the next section of the book starts and it's called maiden no more and you're like fuck this yeah and and uh she names the baby sorrow yeah 
which is how I felt reading this book. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she gets she gets work, but then the baby gets sick and dies. Yep. And she's like, fuck it. I've had enough of this. I have to leave. I have to get rid of this stain. Because everyone, of course, is treating her like garbage because yeah, like she a had a child like out of wedlock. like 200 people. Everybody knows her business. Yeah. Uh, so she goes to another town and she gets work as a dairy, uh, dairy maid. She meets a couple of other women and they kind of become friends. And then she meets... Mr. Angel Claire, who is the son of a minister, yes. and uh, she finds herself attracted to him, but she doesn't feel worthy of him because of the shit that she's gone through. Understandable. Um, and, yeah. And then, you know, like, he sees her, and he's like, oh, yes, this is the woman I want to marry, essentially. I, um, it's like love at first sight for him. Yeah. He, I, you um, know, it's but so then, funny, because in the beginning of the book, they don't describe her as being particularly beautiful. They just kind of describe her as, like, the nicest looking girl in the village. But every single time she meets a dude, you know, they chase <laughs> after her. Yeah, she's... <laughs> She's got that Anna, Anna Steele from Fifty Shades thing going on for Absolutely. her. Like, oh, no. Or, uh, God, what is it? Outlander. Like, Claire is oh, Outlander. Right. Like, every time a man looks at her, he wants her, it seems like. Like, she's constantly <laughs> avoiding rape. Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, it's bad um but anyway uh angel does manage like you know they have a courtship and they fall in love and she's she's scared she hasn't told him about you know the fact that she's had a child Mm -hmm. uh with another man while she wasn't married and then they get to the wedding night and she finally gets the chance to tell him but first he tells her that hey you know i've kind of dallied around yeah like i've had relations (laughs) uh, with a woman and that's why i couldn't be a minister Yeah, and she's like, oh, well, that's okay, I forgive you, right? And Mm -hmm. then she says, by the way, I, you know, had a child out of wedlock. And he's like, what? Oh, my God. (laughs) You whore, you. You know, and like, you're not the wife that I, like, you're not the woman I thought you were. He had stopped her from telling her, her, like, him her truth, like, 15 times already in the book. He's like, anything you've ever done doesn't, yeah. Anything you've ever done doesn't matter. And then, you know, their wedding night, they're legally bound. And he's like, wait a minute, you slut. How dare you? It's ridiculous. I have a lot of feelings about Angel. But we'll get into them after I finish this summer. Exactly. So, so um, anyway, he, you know, like three days after they're married, she's like begging him. She's like, please, I will kill myself if it, it like puts you out of your misery. Mm-hmm. He also does this weird thing where he like, um, I, I'm pretty sure it was just a symbolic thing for the book. But he does this thing where he's sleepwalking and then he like picks her up while he's sleepwalking, puts her in a fucking open grave yep. and says, my wife is dead dead yes <laughs> the heavy-handed um, victorians everyone <laughs> that, that gothic shit exactly <laughs> very emo <laughs> <laughs> so what she uh like he ends up saying you know what i'm gonna go to brazil and be a colonizer mm-hmm. <laughs> and she she's like okay well i'll go back to my parents and well she gets back to her parents and you know, things things aren't that great. Uh, and so she's like, okay, fine. And she finds work somewhere else, but then has to return home after she finds out that her mom and her dad are sick. Yes. Well, her mom gets better, but her dad dies. Yep. And because the lease of the cottage wasn't in 
their na- in her brother's name mm-hmm. because men were the only ones that could inherit any kind of lease or property. They're all homeless. Yep. And who should pop back into the fucking picture but Alec? <gasps> yes. Um, her rapist. Everyone. Preacher. Yep. Yeah. Who had been? Who had become a preacher? By the way. Yeah. Um, but upon seeing Tess again, was like, oh god, you whore of Babylon. Like those are his words. <laughs> um, know. You know. And he's like, you've bewitched me, you know, body and soul, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Except when Darcy says it's much better. Yeah. And she's <laughs> like, leave me the fuck alone. You've ruined my life. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, at first it's like, okay, we can do this. Like, she is trying her, her fucking hardest, y'all. Yeah. Her fucking hardest to to bear the responsibility of her family because her mom can't do it and she has so many freaking siblings to take care of Mm -hmm. and like they end up spending nights in churchyards just so they have a place to sleep yeah and finally alex just keeps digging in and digging in he's like oh your husband abandoned you just come with me and i'll take care of your family you know all you have to do is fuck me and and she finally she finally gives in just so her family has a roof over its fuck oh, over their head. Yeah. And then who shows the fuck back up? Like within a but couple Angel. of weeks. Yeah, like but Angel, who's like I was wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I was a little too harsh. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> And then he goes, uh, he finds Tess, and at this point, it's too late, right? Like, because she's yeah. back with Alec in order to keep her family fucking fed. Because yeah, exactly. she didn't want to go to his parents, you know, and use them Yeah, her baby sibling money. is, like, four. Like, she's got super young siblings to take care of. Yeah, like, she, she did what she could with what she had, mm-hmm. you know? Like... She was a woman in the Victorian area. She didn't have many options. It was become a rich man's mistress or become a prostitute if your husband's not going to take care of you. Yeah. And so anyway, Angel's like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're alive. And she's like, oh, yeah, about that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then she ends up going back and she murders Alec. Yep. Because, you know, screw him. And then she tells Angel. And then she comes back to Angel and she's like, oh, you know, like I killed him. And he thinks she's joking. Yes. Until, uh, you know, the cops show up when they are at Stonehenge. <laughs> and then she's like, of course, marry my, marry my sister, Liza Lou. Mm-hmm. That After way my I'm family dead. can be. Yeah, that way my family can be taken care of because I am doomed to die. And the novel basically ends with a black flag rising above where she's been executed. (laughs) That's the book. That's the whole thing. It's the most depressing, like, oppressive book I've read possibly ever. Jane, Jane Eyre was happier than this book. And I think everybody knows how I feel about Jane Eyre. At first... When you first, the first moment of the book is that Tessa's father is walking down the street and a preacher pulls him aside and says, hey, don't you know you're descended from nobility? And the way her father reacts is just going like, 
fantastic. This is where I've always meant to be. I never have to work again. Like he didn't really work that hard to begin with. And that I thought was hilarious. I was like, he reminded me, he reminded me of the father from Pygmalion and, uh, I was just about to say the same thing. It was very like, get me to the church on time. I'm marrying some, someone wealthy. I'm finally coming into the station I've always had in my life. Exactly. And then that's it. That's all the happiness. That was the last (laughs) moment of joy. And the entire time you're thinking to yourself, like, you're an asshole. So it's not even like that joyous. It's tempered by the fact that he's a terrible person. Yeah. But you're so reckless, right? And then like you have you have several children Mm -hmm. and you're just this reckless drunk who can't even go to the fucking market. Because you drunk yourself too much. Yep. <laughs> like he's uh, he's so terrible. And every single time Tess comes back home throughout the entire, you know, series of the book, he go he goes like, Well, I don't have to work because I'm of noble blood. I'm of noble birth. Don't you know? Like I've got people buried in like a fancy crypt. I'm of noble birth. And every single time she's just like, I have to go essentially sell my soul and sell my body in order to feed your children. Thanks, Dad. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I just, I have a lot of thoughts. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I don't know how to put them in. Put them in. Um, so I, I guess we can just go maybe character by character. Like Tess herself, right? Like yeah. Tess is an unfortunate victim of circumstance. She absolutely like, is. And I know that this book was written as kind of a parable on the dying society, like agrarian society during the Industrial Revolution. Correct. Like, I know that's part of it. So, like, no matter what she does, the end of the agrarian society is inevitable, just like Tess's uh, journey is inevitably going to lead to her death. Exactly. There's so but it's also, I think, a really, really concise, you know, like. I'm trying to find the right words. It's it's the perfect picture of how a woman gets punished for everything. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Especially in the Victorian era. Like it doesn't matter. None of none of what happens to her is her fault. Yeah. They and make... yet she bears the weight of all of that. Yeah. It's like every single time one of her virtues is mentioned, you know, she's pretty, but she's not too pretty. She's smart, but she's not that smart. She's, you know, loyal, but she stands up for herself. She goes to you know, um, at her mother's urging, she goes to the Alec Derby, uh, Derbyville, do Derberville. I hate that freaking name. Um, like his estate. Stoke. Let's call him by his real name. We will call him Stoke. Thank you. So I don't continue (laughs) to trip over this. You know, she goes to like the Stoke Manor only at her mother's urging. She just wants to, you know, do something in her hometown. And then when she gets attacked, they blame her for it. And then they blame her for not marrying yeah. him. It's just unrelenting. She is. Right. She's. It's like. The perfect happy medium of what womanhood and girlhood is supposed to be. And she just gets punished for it at every single page. It, it's so true. And like, she's a very compassionate individual. You know, she has. a. She loves people. She loves her mm-hmm. family. She has this innate sense of loyalty to them. God love her. 
Um, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, it's just, it, she does everything, never for the benefit of herself. No. You know, like... Every time she does something, it's to help her family because she feels guilt about something she had no control over. Like being so tired and overworked, she fell asleep, you know, while mm-hmm. they were trying to take the horse and cart to market and then the horse dies. Yeah. And in that horrific accident. And then she feels personally responsible, even though really it's her father's fault for not being the man that... He needed to be to take care of his children. Exactly. But she blames herself. Yes. It's, it's, (sighs) yeah. It's so, it's soul crushing. (laughs) And. To put it lightly. (laughs) Yeah, to put it lightly. This is, I cannot stress, like, if you have any sort of depression or, you know, like, leanings in that way, just listen to the pod. That's all we're asking. Don't read this book. It is so dark and oppressive. And then when, I guess what really drove me home is that when I was sort of researching this in addition to reading it, I kind of wanted to see like what the quote experts were saying about her relationship to Alec. And so I found this term paper that wasn't a term paper, it was written by like an actual PhD in literature. And she had written that she considers the relations between Alec and Tess to be consensual because she, and the summary, the reason is because Tess stuck her, like stuck around for a little while. Okay, but Tess didn't have a fucking choice. I know. You know? And <laughs> it just was, I guess what really boggled my mind for reading this was just how many of the problems that are heaped upon Tess like still exist for women. Oh yeah, for sure. Like you shouldn't have gone off alone with him when you knew that he was bad. Exactly. Or you you knew he wanted you. Why would you be alone with him? Like obviously men can't control themselves. I hear the same arguments. Mm-hmm. And like the one that really <laughs> drove me home was clearly it wasn't assault because she stuck around with him for a little while. Like her family was starving to death and she needed to earn money to feed them. So the only choice she had was to play nice to the man who assaulted her. That's it. That was the only yeah. choice she had. She didn't go back home until she realized she was pregnant. Yes, exactly. You know, and then it was like, I'm going to bring shame upon my family's house for this. Mm -hmm. And so she returned home and she has the baby, but it doesn't matter because people are punishing her because, wow, that whore. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. And like everybody treats her like a non-entity, like she gives birth and then she's doing manual labor in the fields, like she's cutting down corn or something like that and bundling up corn. And it's just hard, heavy work. And then at the end of it, you it finally revealed that, you know, she has an infant and the infant is days old. And so, you know, this woman has been she popped out a kid and now she's doing hard manual labor and her her. She's like 17. Yeah. And her reward is a dead baby that she has to do a like impromptu christening of with her siblings in order to get it to be buried in the churchyard. Yeah. And the only reason that the the um, reverend allows it is because he takes pity on her. Yes. Like, 
he's like, oh, God, she was so distraught. How could I deny her, you know, like yeah. this one thing that she desperately wanted, even though it's pretty much like your your baby's not going to go to heaven still because baptism. But yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, good of for you, I guess. Fishy <laughs> like, Christianity that I didn't quite understand because I grew up Catholic. So, you know, just slightly different mentalities beyond things because I'm going just, you know, say penance. And then I'm like, wait, they may not have had that. I don't really know how that works, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not Anglican or Catholic. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that's actually part of the actual, like, religiosity of the book is that, like, it is kind of fuzzy. Like, there is no, like, set doctrine. Like, Angel Claire's father is a minister, and then there's another minister, and then um, Alec, you know, takes on the role of a minister at some point. And they all have different morals and conflictions, but they all mm -hmm. come together just to, well, shit on Tess, no matter what. Yeah, in, in my research uh, back in high school and doing a refresher here, mm -hmm. uh, one of the things is that uh, Thomas uh, Hardy the author um, actually was a really big fan of Charles Darwin. Um, many said he was possibly a deist, not specifically, you know, a theist. Yeah. So, like he believed in a higher power, but not necessarily in a Christian God. Gotcha. And you see a lot of that reflected in Angel's character. Yeah. Angel is very similar in that, that like he, he believes in God, but he doesn't necessarily ascribe to a certain religious yeah you know, moral set like his family does, which is exactly why he didn't want to become a minister. Yeah. So let's jump He'd into Angel. <laughs> let's jump into oh. Angel because he's the worst human being in the world. Listen, <laughs> Alec is a rapist and yeah. he is a horrible person, but Angel, I think, is worse. I completely in fact, agree. <laughs> in the fact that he is a hypocritical piece of shit. Yes. <laughs> Um, one yeah. of the things I wanted to mention was his, I don't know if you've ever, um, you probably have, the Madonna Horror Complex, yes. right? Mm -hmm. He idolizes Tess and puts her on a pedestal very much like a Madonna figure until he realizes that she is not a virgin. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as he finds out that she is not a virgin, she's this scummy whore you know, like he literally won't even disgusting. hold her hand. No, he won't like, touch her. He won't um, eat with her. He's revolted by her. Oh, God, I hate him. Like reading this. And it's so funny because, again, you see this book that's written in the mid 1800s, mm -hmm. mid late 1800s. And again, you can see that same mentality mm -hmm. today. Of a man who's like, like, oh my gosh, you hear all the time on like Reddit or these other, like yes. or Facebook or Twitter where a man will hate on a woman who has sexuality, uh -huh. right? It's okay for him to have sexuality, but it's not okay for her to have sexuality. Exactly. Or you have people, or you have men who won't be in the same room as a woman. Because, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> You know that Billy Graham rule, you can't be in a room alone with a woman exactly. because like, she's, she's gonna a temptress be... <laughs> and I'm not going to be able to contain myself. <laughs> Which is so funny coming from like um, 
Angel, when he's he's been working at a dairy farm with the only good man in the book, Mr. Crick. Mr. Crick. He's God been, bless him. God bless Mr. Crick, who's just kind of like, I got my wife and my cows and everything's fine. <laughs> he's, he's such a simple country man. I appreciate that. Me too. Round of applause. He's the only good man in this whole he book. He really is. He's the only one. And so he's been working with all these milkmaids and the milkmaids are just flat out horny for Angel Claire. Like they oh, yeah. <laughs> are all ready to just be like, let's get down. And he's just pretends to be oblivious because they're all kind of like plain. <laughs> yeah. And he's just like, I know they want me, but I don't want them. And he, yeah. He ugh. T- ugh. And then Tess shows up and he's just like, every chance he gets, he's cornering Tess, you know, by herself, which she can't really avoid because of the dairy work. And then, oh my God. And then like he gets her to fall in love with him. Yeah. And she loves him. Like this is the happiest time in Tess's life. Mm -hmm. This falling in love with him. This whole process. Like she really does love Angel. You know, which makes his rejection of her just so much worse than anything else. They (laughs) talk about spirituality. They talk about philosophy. They talk about farming. They talk about family. They talk about religion. They have deep, heavy conversations. And she's just like, oh, my God, he loves me. This is amazing. And then... (laughs) She tri- and, then. and then she tries to confess to him, you know, just like, this is what's happened in my life. Like, this is why I can't marry you, but you insist on marrying me. So let me tell you something. And he's like, nah, forget about it. What could you say? And she's like, funny thing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny to me because Angel is a nonconformist mm-hmm. that wants to reject a lot of traditionalist values. Yes. But in the end, he is just as traditionalist as the society around him as soon as she tells him that she has had a child out of wedlock. Yeah. Like, I, you hypocritical piece of shit. No. And then he, he basically gives her 50 pounds, which is in just an astronomical amount of money, and says, like, go on and live your life. I'm going to Brazil, even though they're Catholic. And then, so she goes off and works on a turnip farm and has to give away half of her money to her parents because they need house repairs. And she just, like, descends into destitution. So before Angel goes to Brazil, he stops he meets up with one of the milkmaids that he had worked with previously. And he's like, I'm estranged from Tess, but I'm going to Brazil to get farmland. And then he propositions the milkmaid basically to pretend to be his wife and go to Brazil with him. Yeah. What the fuck, dude? That that was when I completely (laughs) lost patience with this book. It's like three, three quarters of the way through. And I'm just like, you've, gotta be kidding me you've got to be kidding me. oh yeah 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 yeah. and again i think it harkens back to that madonna whore complex is mm-hmm. because i don't think angel necessarily saw tess as tess he saw her as 
a vision, if that makes sense. Like, Mm -hmm. she was objectified by him in the same way that Alec objectified her. He saw her as a prop. Mm -hmm. And as soon as she was not this perfect thing that he had idealized and imagined in his head, she was not worth the dirt on his shoes. I know. And he starts propositioning one of the girls that Tess has already told him is completely in love with him and will do anything he asks. And he's got no, like, upset for this girl who's just kind of like, shit, yes, I will sail across the Atlantic Ocean to this mysterious country. Because you're hot. And he's just like, good on you, is, like, the girl that he's propositioning. He's like, that's a spirit. Yeah, like perfectly fine for her to trapeze off and pretend to be his wife which is completely against society standards to do that Mm -hmm. and he's like oh that's cool but tess no 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 no, no, no. that whore the weirdest (laughs) thing to me was that he kept calling alec tess's natural husband because he was the first person that she had ever had sex with and this like this phrasing of like her natural husband kept coming out in the book and nothing has ever made me gag i think more than that phrase in a novel yeah well your natural husband it's you know and what really kills me is you know when tess says this to him like she laments Mm -hmm. as soon as he as soon as he is like, oh, my God, what the fuck? Are mm-hmm. you serious? And she's like, listen, I will kill myself. Yes. I will move far away. I will find a way. I will say that, you know, we didn't consummate this union so mm-hmm. you can get uh, an annulment. Yeah. Like, I will do all of these things just to make you happy. Exactly. And just he's like, to make you happy. And he's like, ha- well, no, you. Y- You've already sullied my good name by me being acquainted with you, so the damage is done. Yeah, and his parents are just as bad as he is. His dad is the worst person ever. Like, his mom is like, oh, God, I can't believe you married this girl with no name when you could have married this lady. And he's like, yeah, but I wanted a woman that could work beside me, you Mm know? And, and... Which made sense, right? Like, if you're running a farm, it makes sense to have a woman who's willing to do hard work with you in this this time frame. Exactly. You know, you don't want a woman that's going to sit inside and make doilies all day. (laughs) And then at some point, like, he comes back from Brazil and he's, like, gaunt because he's gotten sick and things like that. And he goes back to his parents' house and his mother literally says something along the lines of, like, this is what you get for marrying farm trash. <laughs> yeah, like how you married white trash. What do you expect? exactly? <laughs> you sullied our family good name. You should have be- gone to like um, Cambridge and become a minister. But this is what you get for marrying a dumb farm girl. And he's just like, I'm going to go rescue her because after she had told after Tess had told Angel that, you know, she had had sex of dubious consent and, you know, had a baby, he said, I can't be your husband while the first man is still alive. And then when- And that kind of just- uh, Put the little seed there in Tess's mind. And then she slits his throat. Yeah. And and while we're on the subject of uh, old old slit throat there, like (laughs) Alec again, you know- the thing that really irritates me, I have a quote, um, and the quote is, 
uh, <laughs> where is that quote? Tess, my girl, I was on the way to at least social salvation till I saw you again. Uh, and why then have you tempted me? I was as firm as a man could be till I saw those eyes and that mouth again. Surely there was never such a maddening mouth since Eve's. You temptress, Tess. You dear damned witch of Babylon. I could not resist you as soon as I met you again. And Fucking piece of shit. Like he's blaming her shit. for his attraction to her. Mm-hmm. He's again, such a piece of shit. He still happens. And he's still somehow less of a piece oh, of shit than Angel Claire. Well, I think it's because with Alec, it's pretty straightforward. He is the villain, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. There's he's he's dubious, but you know he's dubious from the very beginning. Exactly. Whereas Angel. Whereas Angel, you think, is this, like, Prince Charming kind of fellow. You know, he's very smart. He's witty. He he seems to love Tess. He's very enamored with her. But that enamoration and that love for her immediately dissipates as soon as she tells him that she's not a virgin. And all of a sudden, oh, my God, it's the worst thing ever. Yeah. Like, he was perfectly fine with things until she wasn't a virgin anymore. And then he holds her past against her. Mm-hmm. But doesn't expect her to hold his past against him. No, absolutely not. He had like a 48-hour dalliance with a woman when he was traveling in France. And he's like, but you being assaulted in the woods, unforgivable sin. Uh, The weirdest one to me was that after she had told Angel that she slit Alec's throat and killed him, Angel is like waffling a little bit on whether or not she's joking and then when she kind of says like no it's for real i killed him angel immediately says that's forgivable he's willing to forgive murder but not her having a child out of wedlock and and you just feel so bad for tess even though she kills alec who is super fucking deserving of it by the way absolutely fuck him absolutely but like Again, the world is just out to get poor Tess. Just, she was never you know? going to catch a break. Just absolutely ever. No, and that's what I think is the real tragedy of this book, is that it doesn't matter what Tess does. Yeah. Ever. Ever. Because in the end, she is going to die at the end of this book. She is not going to have a happy existence. Never. And the she only has two really happy points in her life. And that's when she first meets Angel and they have that falling in love. Mm-hmm. And then after she kills Alec and they're together for like a week before the people and they're on the lamb, you yeah. know, before the police come and arrest her. I know. And she is she is resigned to her fate. She knows, like, I'm not going to get out of here. Oh, they're yeah. going to find us before we can escape the country. Like yeah. Angel is know, always like, like we're going to find. Us. Yeah. Angel is like, we're going to find a port. We're going to set sail for South America. Don't worry about it. And she's like, nope, I'm going to die. And he's like, no, 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 no. We'll go to Manchester. We'll find a ship. And she's like, nope, I'm going to die the entire time. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's like, she's already resigned herself to this. So she's going to soak up what little happiness she has yeah. gotten in her life. You know, she's <laughs> gonna soak it up you and she's see, gonna be with him yeah. and <laughs> you can see her being like and then it's been the, 21 years of abject misery it's okay it's really okay i killed this guy so no and, one he can't hurt anyone else you're gonna marry my sister and take care of my family because that's all i've ever fucking wanted and now i get to leave and not deal with this shit anymore honestly 
like she has a very deep depression throughout the majority of the mm-hmm. book and she is like ready to kill herself on several occasions she is so when she resigns She's essentially resigned herself to death. It's just that it's basically suicide, except she's not the one that's going to do it. Yeah, like, it's literally suicide she knows by she's cop. Gonna die. Yeah. Yeah, essentially. Like, she knows she's going to die because murder is a capital offense. Mm-hmm. And she's going to confess to it and they're going to kill her. It doesn't matter what the extenuating circumstances are, because even though it doesn't specifically describe her trial or anything afterwards, like... You already know how it goes down in the courtroom, right? Yeah. Like, oh, this woman, she's a loose woman. She's had a baby out of wedlock. Exactly. And she was a whore. Like, she is not a sympathetic character to a jury. At all. At all. So she's dead. Yeah. You know? It doesn't matter that she was raped. It doesn't matter that her family was sleeping in a fucking churchyard and the only way they were going to have a roof over their head was if she became Alex's mistress because her husband abandoned her, you know, she's being held hostage. What Angel could have done. Yeah. Yeah. What Angel could have done, what would have been useful is for him to go into the courtroom and explain the situation because a jury would listen to a man on that regard right. than a woman and maybe save her life but no nah. he doesn't do that nope he doesn't He's useless he never tries to <laughs> say like oh my wife was raped and you know and then i abandoned her for a year and left her to you know essentially destitution and she did whatever she had to do in order to feed her like six younger siblings and her mother who couldn't yeah. tie her shoes if he would have went into that courtroom and played to the jury's sympathies, she might not have died. Yeah. Just saying. Mm-hmm. She might just have just saying. been shocked up as crazy and, like, let off the yeah. hook. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Maybe put in uh, in Bedlam or something, which would not have been good. But, no. She uh, might have been released to Angel Claire's, like, you know, observation or something like that. Who knows? Mm-hmm. At the same time, yeah. you know, Bertha Mason's locked up in Rochester's attic, you know, same era might have been let off the hook who knows but he didn't even try uh jane Eyre, what a gothic masterpiece (laughs) Uh, that's a story for another day it really is it's almost like angel claire was just kind of like yeah but i get her younger sister the younger model the one that hasn't had a baby and i guess i guess this turned out liza is essentially she's very similar in appearance to tess you know and she's not someone that's been raped and had a baby Mm -hmm. like she's a virgin which is exactly what angel wanted exactly it's so gross there's for the fact that this book is like 500 pages we literally just summed it up in the last 40 minutes It's just like, imagine every depressing situation possible heaped upon a young woman of like 20 max. This is it. I think she was 22 or 23 when she was uh, executed. So it's it's a bad life. It's a real (laughs) bad life. uh, Like, Annie's got nothing on her, you know? It's so sad to know that Thomas Hardy also wrote this as like a way of kind of like pining for the good old days you know like we're going to miss a life of agriculture and it's like i don't think the women are i don't think so buddy no like 
the whole thing is an ode to the death of the agrarian society, but at the same time, it's like, dude, you wrote the perfect, the perfect example of why women should have rights. Exactly. Exactly. Like, unintentional feminism. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> because really, to me, like, reading it now, like, when I read it in high school, I was just depressed with it. But, like, reading mm-hmm. it now, it infuriated me in a different way. Absolutely. It made me angry that this was a life for a woman, you know, like it's not outside the realm of possibility for several women in that time period to experience similar circumstances to test. Mm -hmm. Maybe they didn't kill the man that assaulted them, but they had to become a mistress or a courtesan, or they had to become a prostitute. Mm -hmm. They had to do whatever they could, or, you know, marry men who were abusive just to survive because they couldn't own property mm-hmm. and they couldn't they couldn't have a job like yeah it's it's and they had no rights as farm workers and we didn't even get into the abusive turnip farmer like it's they have no rights as workers no rights as humans no rights as wives no rights as mothers no rights outside of anything and Thomas Hardy's just kind of like don't you miss it <laughs> <laughs> don't you miss being able to, you know, churn butter, which <laughs> garlic butter doesn't seem like a bad no, thing. No, it doesn't. I think we're like going to leave that whole... without context. <laughs> and, and another thing, you know, I, um, I, I, I'm on a movie podcast and we have done uh, the movie Fifty Shades of Grey. Mm-hmm. And I had read the book and one of the things that... Ta- uh, Anastasia Steele, the main character, loves. She considers Tess of the D'Urbervilles her favorite book. I didn't now, y'all remember that until you said that just before we started recording, and my mouth is still hanging open. Like, I'm not saying it's not perfectly in line for a masochist to enjoy a book this fucking depressing. <laughs> But you know what? Maybe Anna really is a masochist. Maybe it's been there all along. This book is torture. It's hard because, like, you can rant. We can rant about this book for a long time because it's like 500 pages of just misery. And every single time you turn around, like, even things like her, her shoes are getting stolen. It's just every petty and serious misery that could happen to a person happens to test Derbyfield. Yeah. Um, one more quote I'll share is uh, the this one in particular, which I think perfectly sums up my thoughts. Mm-hmm. And it's it's from the book. And it goes, never in her life she could swear it from the bottom of her soul had she ever intended to do wrong. Yet these hard judgments had come. Whatever her sins, they were not sins of intention, but of inadvertence. And why should she have been punished so persistently? And it's just like, that's how I feel about this Mm -hmm. when I read it. That's how I feel for her. Yeah. You know? Like, it is so unfair. And I know people are like, well, life's unfair. But it's just like... The yeah. amount of weight she had on her shoulders and to die so miserably. Yes. It, it, it just it's, kills me. It's <laughs> horrible. It's, yeah, it's truly one of the most, I will almost use the word grotesque in the amount of pain that is heaped upon this character and how little punishment any other character gets throughout the entire book. 
Oh, yeah. Like, for instance, Alec, right? You know, mm-hmm. he gets to reinvent himself and become a fucking minister. Yeah. And not live... With, like, everybody knows that he's the guy that had sex with her, quote oh, yeah. unquote. You know, like, everybody knows that, but he's not punished for it because he's a man. Yep. And a rich man at that. Oh, oh man. God. Rich men get away with everything. And if you even think about it, he doesn't even really suffer. Like, she slits his throat. It's an instant death. And he doesn't oh, even, like, have to suffer shit. in death. He's It's just instant, and then she's hung. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, hope you guys enjoyed that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a we try it's really to keep, hard to... <laughs> we try to keep the podcast funny, but sometimes, well, pretty much all the time, it ends with uh, me and the guest just kind of going, <sighs> So, Gracie, how can people keep in touch with you and your work? Um, Well, we have a podcast called the Feminist Critique Podcast, which is a movie podcast where we take a look at movies, we uh, discuss them through a feminist lens, and then we decide, regardless of the feminism or inclusivity, uh, is it good? And um, I'm on Twitter at South of Grace. my co-host is on Twitter at Ageline S and um, uh, email is the feminist critique podcast at gmail.com. Awesome. And we have a discord and a YouTube. And as always, you can keep in touch with me, your host, Emily Edwards on Twitter at fuckboysoflit. That's B O I S. And my personal Twitter at Ms. Emily Edwards. We are on Instagram with the same handles and at fuckboysoflit.com. Subscribe to the podcast in nearly any podcatcher, searching for the letters F-B-O-L. And wherever you subscribe, be sure to rate and leave a short review. It helps a lot more than you think. For information on how to support the podcast with more than just kind words, check out fuckboysoflit.com. And again, I'm Emily Edwards, and have a good one. This book is torture.